This podcast is part of the Frederick Podcast Network. Learn more at listenfrederick.com. Welcome to season three of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast with Adina, Brian, Chris, and Steve. The biggest, most fun podcast in the galaxy. This is the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, season three. Welcome back to the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. Hey, it's Adina Mignona, one of your friendly co-hosts of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, and I'm here with my other co-hosts, Christian Fox. Hello. Steve Merkin. Howdy, stranger. And Brian Donahue. Greetings from snowy Northeast Ohio. Oh, yes. So before we get into our topic today, let me say that if you're enjoying the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, please share it with the other sci-fi fans in your life. Leave a review if you listen to it on one of the platforms that allows reviews, and then come over and join us in the Big Sci-Fi Podcast Facebook group, where we continue the conversation and have fun with weekly polls and trivia. Now, today, we are going to talk about Blade Runner, both the original movie, as much as we can figure out which movie that means we're talking about, (laughs) and Blade Runner 2049, the sequel that came out a few years ago in 2017. Given the former is decades old and the latter is six years old, we are going to be spoiling the heck out of these movies. So if you haven't watched them and don't know about them from pop culture references over the years, maybe go watch the original at least and then, then come back to this episode. Now, speaking of which, okay, it is hard to say go watch the original because there are several versions of of that first movie that have come out over the years. There's even a Wikipedia page that lists versions of Blade Runner. And I think as we go around, we're going to find out that we might not have all seen the same version. So for example, when I rewatched it over this weekend, preparing for this episode, uh, I watched what was called the director's cut because it was the easiest one I could access. So it's a little digression, but I guess it's it's kind of related to the first question I want to ask everybody. When did you first watch Blade Runner? Uh, do you know what version it was? And then did you rewatch it recently to prep for this? And do you know what version of that you were watching? So who wants to go first? I'll go first. Go for it. It was the year of 1982. I was a young lad, which actually was a young lad at that time compared to I am now. And yes, I did see it in the movie theater when it was first released. The version I watched this weekend, I believe, is that version because it just seems so familiar. I did see other versions available or thought they were available on prime video including as you mentioned the director's cut but it was not available for purchase so lo and behold i believe i saw the original version okay i saw this film probably for the first time just over 10 years ago uh and was i turned it on because of harrison ford and it's classic science fiction i was like i gotta watch it uh I'd, eh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I think I, I think it was the original version or form of it. The theatrical release might be the mm-hmm. correct term we're looking mm-hmm. for. That's a good and, choice. Uh, I saw the newer version or, or sequel to this film uh, real close to when it came out. I did not see it in a theater, but I saw it very closely uh, when it came out. And 
vastly different experience for me, but for me, it helped explain a lot with the first film, actually. I, I feel like when I went back and watched the first film, I kind of understood a little bit more what I was watching. So I want, I want to put a pin in that. So I want to come back to that, but Chris. Yeah. So I think the first time I saw it would have been 2007. I remember my buddy Kale came over. My other friend Taylor was there. He was like, you got to watch Blade Runner. I've heard a lot about it. So I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. We started it. And then I think Taylor and I were just like, we don't know what's going on. We kind of lost interest. And then I think maybe three or four years later, I finally saw it. And then I watched it again in 2017 to get ready for the sequel. And it's an experience, but like Brian, it's just like, I don't think I fully understand everything that's happening. Even with the sequel, I've seen it twice now. And I'm like, I I need to really pick this apart because I'm not, I'm still kind of confused. Yeah. And so I mentioned I watched the director's cut over the weekend. Now, I'm not 100% sure when I first saw it and which version I would have seen it. If I saw it when I was still in high school. So when it came out, I was too young. I was too young to see it. I was eight when it came out. So uh, my parents, you know, shame on them if they had let me (laughs) watch it. No, uh, I joke. But so if I watched it in high school, if that theatrical release or the broadcast version was either on VHS or on cable, that then that's what I would have had to watch because the director's cut came out in 1992. Mm-hmm. That's when I graduated from high school. So if I watched it in college, I might have watched the director's cut. And my memory is like the scenes I remember, I still saw in the director's cut, but I feel like they would had to have been there anyway. So, so I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's a long way of saying okay. I have absolutely no idea what I watched originally, Make- but Nothing here surprised me in what I saw. So maybe this is what I what I've always seen. Mm. Well, know. may I add this quickly? What I just read mm-hmm. online, it says Blade Runner the theatrical cut is the best version. Says Christopher Nolan, a guy that knows how to make a movie or two. He believes that the theatrical cut of the sci-fi classic Blade Runner is the definitive version of the film, even if Ridley Scott doesn't agree so there you go so if you saw the director's cut Mm -hmm. as far as christopher nolan is that's the one to see yeah well and i guess i'm trying so i what i what i kind of want is to find now now i wish i had done this before in prep for this is kind of find a website or something that kind of lists out because i'm sure this has got to exist list out the details like what is and isn't in each because i kind of want to know what's (laughs) missing or added between them to see if if well, no, but, does but the I, director's yeah. cut have the happy ending? It where you see extra because a... because the the no. original film I think has them just entering the elevator and then it yes. goes black. Yes. There's another version where you actually see them driving or something, and it's beautiful, right. wooded, leafy green, and then you hear Harrison Ford's voiceover. Yes, mm-hmm. that's the version I saw. Okay. Yeah. No, there are no voiceovers. And and so that's the thing. And so I guess I, yeah, I, I guess I must have never seen. Well, again, my memory from 30 years ago is already like getting fuzzy mm. on what I have and haven't seen. So I would have to see the voice ones with the voiceovers and stuff to just see mm-hmm. if that, if I were, if it, that jogs a memory or something. Yeah. But no, well, no voiceovers and no happy ending in the director's cut. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to remember. I'm looking up the endings now because I, I just remember watching them without voiceover. It but says can there's we... seven different versions of this movie. 
right. seven. So, yeah. <laughs> so if you get the Why? right one, you get to play Yahtzee or something. Yahtzee, <laughs> I got them all. There you go. Also, can we just acknowledge that there's probably there was probably a time where Christopher Nolan was hanging out with Ridley Scott, and <laughs> he was like, no. Ridley, your direct your theatrical version was better, and then Ridley is like, no, 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 the, the director's cut's better. I just just love this idea that but, Christopher Nolan's fighting with Ridley except, Scott, saying, no, your other version's better. <laughs> right, except that didn't we? I don't think that Ridley Scott liked the director's cut. Like, even though it's called a director's cut, I don't think he was entirely happy with that. You know, it, oh, it's called director's okay. cut, but that doesn't necessarily mean they have necessarily have their perfect stamp of approval on it. I don't know if he was entirely happy with that. And well, oh, this is okay. not this is not unusual. I mean, we mm -hmm. even talked about earlier uh, in a prior podcast about Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan, director's cut or extended version mm -hmm. versus the original, which is the better, so and so forth. The movie uh, Brazil, when it came out, there was the Terry Gilliam version, and then Paramount said, "No, no, no, we want to make a happy ending," so they made the Paramount version, and it was horrible. So you know. Mm. I, mm -hmm. You always hope that the one that's released in the theater is the one that you should see. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. But now the whole thing about a happy. OK, so let's let, let me ask this question. Generally, not that there is like an overwhelming amount of sci fi noir films, <laughs> but generally, is this like a, a branch or a, a subgenre of sci fi that you guys are into or interested in or, or like enjoy, which mm. is like so neo they call it neo noir. Um, so it's kind of a. What would be another example of this genre of sci-fi? Um, Dark City. Okay. Or Sin City. Wait, there's yeah. Oh, maybe yeah, Sin, Sin City. City. Yes. My, Sin my City. answer would be That's no. Animation. Then, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I do. I, I found that I, especially um, the newer film with Ryan Gosling, watching it this time, <laughs> I liked it a lot more than I remembered the first time. Actually, <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. I, I liked well, this. I liked these films. Yeah. Okay, but as so a genre, ask... I don't think I'm going to sit down and watch a ton of well, movies like this. Th the reason I want to jump to that, I just want to say one thing about that whole happy ending thing. I, I kind of like think that adding a happy ending to a noir film, that's kind of like you it's a noir film. It's not supposed to have a happy ending. So I, I feel like even if I go back and watch a version with the happy ending, I will probably like the director's cut with no happy ending better for that reason. It's well, it leaves it open to though too. I mean, they're yeah. getting in an elevator together, yeah. right? So yeah. we can assume we're assuming whether we fill in the blanks ourselves as, as the viewers is they're mm -hmm. riding off into the sunset well, or are they going to struggle like heck? And they're not going to, we don't know what's going to happen on when well, those doors open again, wherever they're headed. But I feel like we can make, you know, there's a pretty clear assumption. They're going to be on the run. She's yeah. a replicant, yep. you know, and it's yep. it's known that she's a replicant. So he's not the only one who knows this. So, mm -hmm. like, I feel like we are kind of left with, like, we don't, yes, maybe they go off and love each other or something, you know, some, maybe there's a little goodness to their lives, but they're going on the run. Yeah. And I feel mm -hmm. like it's pretty clear that they're going on the run. And that's oh, absolutely. not a happy ending. Well, well you don't know. You don't know. If, if you don't have anything to work well, with, then you don't know. So you have to but, assume. One way or the other, it's going to okay. have something happen to them. But it's no, it's a noir film, so I feel like the the default assumption is you shouldn't. Go, I mean, like again, if 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 you okay. want to go there and make it happy, fine. But it's noir; it's not supposed to be happy. 
Yeah. Okay. So, but, I'm gonna. But what, I, I I believe they're happy though. They they were happy at least ultimately. Well, that's why they made the follow-up film because you're going now. What happened to them? And then mm -hmm. we find out in 2049. Oh, so that's what happened to them, and we'll discuss that later, of right, course. Right. Uh, getting now, but the thing about film noir now, again, when you say film noir, you're talking you're talking about a dark image. Mm -hmm. You're talking about films from the 1940s, film noir style with voiceovers, shadowy images, darkness. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the Sam Spade films that were made so famous. Um, yeah, it, it's all there. It's there. But if you throw a happy ending out of it, um, it's just a tagline. The, the, the whole basis of the film, the bulk of it is all of that dark imagery that you expect to see in this type of a film style. And it was all there, right down to the trench coat that uh, Sam Spade would always be wearing. The only thing missing was the fedora hat, and I think he left that on the set to Indiana oh, Jones. Man. That's why it wasn't <laughs> in the movie. But you had the femme fatale, mm -hmm. the, the woman mm -hmm. who walks into his life and and destroys it or he mm -hmm. gets involved with her i mean it had the bad guys it had the villains and goons and and the main character is kind of like a, a beat down or depressed cop yeah <laughs> i feel like it's yeah, a staple <laughs> he was just a whole lot more handsome than humphrey bogart ever was but humphrey bogart women loved him because he did have that rugged look yeah, of someone yeah. who's been mm -hmm. beaten down and leather you know he's worn out so on so forgetting yeah. 2049 for a second and just mm, focusing okay. on the main film. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when it, when the film starts off, we, we know that Harrison Ford's character. So Deckard was a blade runner mm -hmm. and he's done with it, but we never, ever, at least, okay. And this might, maybe now this is now that I'm saying this, maybe this is different in different versions in the director's cut. We have absolutely no idea any of his background. We have no idea why he's not doing it anymore. We have no idea we we don't know a guy we don't know a thing it's about funny. him i thought it was explained that because the situation was telling difference between a replicant and a human being that he i believe killed a human inadvertently and felt the guilt of having done that and decided he just couldn't do this job anymore Am I mistaken or not? I don't know I, if in the director's cut that was explained explicitly. Yeah. I don't remember that. I just remember starting off like, uh, you know, you've got your main character who's not doing the job anymore. He gets called back in. They say, mm -hmm. oh, we need the best. You need to come back for one more job. Mm -hmm. But I don't remember them ever explaining why he left. But the thing I'm struggling with, and I feel like Blade Runner, one or the first one did this as well as the second, where it reminds me of Shakespeare where everybody's speaking, like they're saying English words, mm. but I'm having a, like having to process what the heck they're actually talking about in a conversation makes it difficult. So maybe they did mention that in the version I saw, but I don't remember that being part of the, like the backstory. I, I believe that it, there is discussion in the film about, did you ever mistaken a human mm -hmm. for a replica? Oh, okay. Right. There so was it's that. Almost, so maybe it wasn't laid out in the beginning, but as you watch the movie, you come to yeah. that conclusion that well, maybe that is the reason why he is, well, he retired himself. My, now I'm wondering, now see, now I, I really do want to go back and watch the other version that does have the voiceover because I'm wondering, is that mm -hmm. all in the voiceover? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
because the film is very quiet. I mean, like from a dialogue standpoint, it, yeah. it's it very, very, there's very little dialogue throughout the whole film. Mm-hmm. Well, lots that's of, why... lots of walking around and mm-hmm. opening doors and staring <laughs> right. into dark voids and mm-hmm. wait a minute. Are you, know, you people walking in 49 with the original? Cause I'm... well, they're both like that. <laughs> a lot of walking around opening a lot doors, of, but just a, a lot of, of Ryan Gosling, just staring intently so, without flinching this is not a plot question but was ryan gosling uh filming la la land around this time or because i just find it amazing that la la land and this movie came out at the same time or around the same time where he's like being miserable and depressed and looking thoughtfully at things and then he's like doing Musical Maybe numbers. he had to do I La La Land after just, this one. He no, had to... I think they followed. Did, I think they filmed La La Land first. And the only reason I think yeah. that was because one of the interview, cute interviews I, I watched in preparing, I saw this really cute one with Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford on a, a British morning show. Um, and she mentioned La La Land uh, in, con- in, you know, in that. 2016 is when Lala came out. Oh, I so thought it was 2017. Was... No, no, well, no. now, even if it came out in 2016, yeah. that does not necessarily mean it was filmed first. <laughs> right, that's true. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not necessarily. <laughs> but I think it was. I, I do think it was. Yeah. So, but again, in the promotion, mm-hmm. if they were having that discussion in the promotion of 2049 Blade Runner, Mm-hmm. It would have already been afterwards than that was yeah. released. So mm-hmm. maybe that's the reason yeah. why it came up. Yeah. And I wish they were as animated in the film as they were in that, in that <laughs> conversation, because that conversation was friggin' funny. I it, was, it was. It was. We have to put a link it's great. to it's that great. clip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so I had watched, you know, speaking of, of watching interviews and everything. So I, I wound up going on a little, um, uh, rabbit hole, I guess, of watching small short interviews with Harrison Ford, especially from, you know, back then I did, a, mm. I watched a few from the 1982-ish time period and he was quiet and looked so miserable and not, you know, not, uh, I, I don't know. It was very, it was very interesting to watch him then versus watching him later where he was a little bit more animated, but even on stage, I think it's it's on stage in front of a group of people, because one, this is a great one to find. Watch Harrison Ford talking to John Favreau. And so they're being filmed and John is is interviewing him, but there's no audience. It's just one on one. And Harrison Ford is the most natural, relaxed it is wonderful. It's like a whole mm. different Harrison Ford than any other interview, like ever. I'll be darned. Interesting, because he yeah. does come off as a very quiet individual. Mm-hmm. That he's, you know, there, there is something gruff about him. Mm-hmm. That he plays that part very well, and maybe because that's a natural thing for him. But hey, yeah. you know, we don't know everything about everybody, so there is, yeah. there's, there is always two sides. I think See, he doesn't that... like talking to and interview her. He doesn't know personally very well, and in front of a group of people. I think that I think that's it. I think because he has a, a personal relationship with John Favreau from working together and then there's no audience, you know, there's just a camera. 
Oh yeah. Um, I think that's, I, that's all the difference there. I, I wonder because Mark Hamill does a really good Harrison Ford and it sounds like he does a Harrison Ford while filming, which sounds like the Harrison Ford that you expect, <laughs> like super gruff <laughs> and kind not miserable, but there was something where it was like, he was like, Hey, we just came out of the sewer. Should we worry about our hair or should like there's continuity. And then Harrison Ford was like, kid, if they're worried, if they're watching your hair, then there's a really big problem or something like that. <laughs> he does a perfect impression. <laughs> All right, Adina. Okay, so okay, sorry, sorry. I was the, just daydreaming are we going about off Harrison Ford. A, uh, crazy train, or do you know where we're supposed to be in this? Uh, you yes. are the, the leader of the podcast. Yes, Please I know, I know. Us. But we're talking about Harrison Ford, and then the brain <laughs> just kind of because he's been on my list for like probably my entire life since I've had a list. Uh, anyway, so um, I'm guessing has anyone here? Has any of us read the? novel that this the movie was based on no, no and i, I didn't not. even learn there was a novel that it was based off a novel mm. until um investigating a little bit for mm. for this podcast i had no idea there was yeah. a novel associated yeah i'm mm -hmm. i'm actually kind of surprised um i went i went around my house looking for it because i i thought at one point i, I thought i had it i had never read it but i thought i had it because i know my dad had it Mm -hmm. And I had absconded with it at one point, you know, intending to read it. And I never did because my dad had several Philip uh, K. Dick um, books. But so the novel for anyone who has it, didn't know this and just just learned it's do androids dream of electric sheep. Oh, right. And so it yes. was by Philip K. Dick, uh, who is a, a fairly well-known science fiction writer um, from this novel and some other things in the late 60s and early 70s. And so he actually didn't he passed away before the film came out. Mm -hmm. But he lived long enough to uh, read the version of the script that that had a was going to be the version of the script that they they used, although I think he was like unhappy with you know earlier versions of the script and everything. But so, OK, so none of us have read it. So I, I guess I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> well, I did. I did one thing. I did look up the Wikipedia on the mm -hmm. book because mm -hmm. I'd never read it. And it explains why the book book is named the book which mm -hmm. has nothing to do with the movie right because there is no mechanical sheep that he decker and his wife owned mm -hmm. and that he dreamed of having a real sheep which he ends up getting a real sheep but it ends up being i guess killed or something like that so it is Aww. you know like you said this is the book here's mm -hmm. the movie there's a lot of differences uh, there's a lot of differences. A lot of differences, between yeah. Between what the Wikipedia page described as the plot and everything compared to the movie. So, you know, there's there's that whole point of going, if you read the book, does it always follow what the movie is? Mm -hmm. As we had our discussion about The Martian, which mm -hmm. was... If I was an author... Closer to one or the other. If I was a writer of a novel and it was, it was given a film adaptation, I would want in written somewhere that it could say there's different options for what the titles would include based on the novel by Brian Donahue <laughs> based mm -hmm. loosely on the novel by Brian Donahue or this ain't got nothing to do what the <laughs> Harry Hay with the original novel those are the well, options it, I would want yeah. in tradition they normally say based on the short story or based on right. now I have a book here called um, about 
it's actually all the short stories from a number of movies. And I mm. remember reading those short stories and going, this, I don't recall that in the movie, including <laughs> original short story that Arthur C. Clarke wrote for 2001, mm. which is a short little short story that becomes nothing. You know, the movie is so much more different than that as well. So it's going to happen. I guess at right. the end of the day, Adina, I don't know, maybe you would feel, I don't know if you'd feel the same way as, as I, but uh, if the paycheck's good enough, who am I really going to care if right. it, it says, if it's yeah. based wholly on the book and follows it perfectly? Yeah. it and, and I guess, you know, to some degree there's that, but I really, if, if any of my stuff ever does get turned into a screenplay and makes it so. to a film... Well, thank you. Um, I, I really just want to be part of the creative process and turning it into a screenplay. Maybe I'm not the actual writer, but I, I really want to be involved, you know, be in, be involved in yeah. some way, shape or form. Uh, and and that would be kind of my my thing is because maybe I, I don't know. I just want to be involved. And part mm -hmm. of it is just to kind of understand and see really how that creative process actually actually works, how, how it happens. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, because, you know, there are some movies that, that do a really good job of it even if they can't put in all the details, like we talked about the Martian. Mm -hmm. And then there are some films where it, it really, a lot of the key details of the book are are drastically different just because the movie audience is intended to draw a different audience. Um, and, and that's um, uh, Ready Player One. Mm -hmm. And right. okay. Ernest Klein was very involved in the script and was very happy with the movie script and how mm -hmm. it came out. But yeah, it's just a, such a different audience. So it, it just, it depends, but I, I want to be involved. Is I, I guess the the thing, yeah. Just well, hopefully, check hopefully, hopefully you can be the script on. writer with it, or as be alongside <laughs> because so, you yeah. know you take a look at a film like A Christmas Story, which is based on uh, the book uh, In God We Trust All All Others Pay mm -hmm. Cash, or then you look at The Princess Bride, which was written by the mm -hmm. screenway play was written by the author of the book. So yeah. if you have a problem. The it hits his own. Yeah. And the only thing with that is screen, you know, script writing, screenwriting is a very different form of writing. Mm -hmm. It's not one that I've ever tried. And although I've looked at it and so that's the thing is I look at screenwriting, I'm like, I, I don't know if I'm really cut out. So I don't think I'd want to, or maybe I would work out some deal where they're like, well, try it. You know, maybe I, I try a version. Well, yeah, I don't know. But that's the thing is that's why I'm I'm okay with other people doing that because there are definitely other people who have like some some much more, you know, some skills in that area that I that I don't. I agree yeah. with you a hundred percent on that. So so we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. <laughs> oh yes. I wanna I wanna see who you choose to have play Ruby. That'd be cool. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, yeah. so but back to the Blade Runner, yes, you know, so 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 Philip K. Dick, you know, so several of his other books actually went on to be movies that people have probably heard of. Mm -hmm. So, or, or so I'll name a couple of the movies are Total Recall, mm -hmm. Minority Report, mm -hmm. A Scanner Darkly. Um, I, I don't know if I would call any of them noir in the way that yeah. this one is, but no. they're they're not generally happy-ish films. Yeah, either. they're I mean, not uplifting. It's yeah. not, it's not, you don't walk out <laughs> of the theater going, hey, beautiful yeah. flowers and everything. And just to yeah. think they made two versions of Total Recall. Yeah, I never right, saw the yeah. new one. I haven't I seen the new one. I, I saw the I saw the the new one one time, and it doesn't even compare. And even so, um, it doesn't. It's so. Let's put it this way: what I understand is the Schwarzenegger Total Recall is closer to the book mm -hmm. 
Then the Colin mm. Farrell, I think, was the actor. Oh, yeah, it yeah. was Colin yeah. Farrell. Mm-hmm. I forgot. Yeah. yeah, so it's much different. I remember how I learned that Total Recall was coming out. I was at a science fiction Star Trek convention in New York City and saw, like, they were having, they, they played trailers. Mm-hmm. And that's where I saw it and learned about it. And I was, oh, was so It was like a year or so before it actually came out in the oh, theaters. Wow. wow. Okay, so well, anyway, I'm Blade Runner though, so I, I want to like <laughs> ten minutes so, later. <laughs> I know, but I want to jump into something that I wasn't going to get into yet. But I don't okay. know if you guys saw Frank come into my office and yes, drop something yeah, yeah. off for me. Oh, so what people very can't see is cool. I'm holding a little origami unicorn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were just before we got on to to record. I remembered that I wanted to do some origami and bring some origami for you guys. Um, and, you know, I, I just completely forgot and everything. And, and so Frank was asking about it. So he hasn't seen the film. Mm-hmm. I let him watch the first five minutes or so of it with me uh, the other day. And then I kicked him out because, yeah, he's still yeah. a little young for film one, mm-hmm. even though he was like, no, mom, I'm I'm fine. I'm nearly a teenager. I'm a teenager. It's, you know, okay. <laughs> he, he, anyway. He is within a year. He is. He's knocking yeah. on that door. Yeah. yeah. Still, though, a little young for this movie. Okay, mom. But I, okay, mom. I, uh, <laughs> So he did watch, he did get to the part where we saw Harrison Ford and we did see Edward James almost. Um, however, it was before he left any of the, you, you know, things so I had, it was like, well, yeah, there was a, so he's like, well, what kind of origami? And I was like, well, there's a unicorn, there's a chicken and there was a man. Yeah. He was like, what kind of man? And for those of you who know what kind of man, I don't want, I'm not saying it out loud. Um, I told him it was just a, a man in an adult situation and i left it at that and he didn't he stopped asking <laughs> well anyway i said i really wanted a unicorn so he said oh i'll he'll try it so he went and made a unicorn and just dropped it off for me very nice. cool it's very cute mm-hmm. so what did you guys think about the you know so so the origami that's Ooh, what i i, I don't yeah. mind saying go yeah go ahead i to, do it to me it was just a signpost that Edward James's character was there. So at the end of the movie, when there is the stick figure character that Harrison Ford picks up, he realizes he was there, but he didn't do anything. He let her go. He didn't accomplish what he was should have done, which was to assassinate or, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, retire. <laughs> retire the last of the replicants that they were after because mm-hmm. remember there's that one scene where he says oh four and and um his boss says no there's five what do you mean five what about rachel oh yes i forgot about her the woman i love you know mm-hmm. so it's just his way of saying and, and i think they even clarify that in the 2049 film when he when um Ryan Gosling's character goes and sees Edward James' character in a nursing home, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yep, that's that's right. Well, mm-hmm. but now, why a unicorn? Bazillion things he could have could have made. That I don't know. Well, there's, I, there's a hidden I, message there that I'm, I'm staring missing. at the screen blankly, Adina. No, I had okay. to I had to Google too because I'm like I it went over my head. Internet says it's because it's saying, hey, you had dreams about it. I know you're a replicant too, but I'm not going to expose you. 
And oh, I think that's one okay. theory. Wait a minute. Well, so they're saying that Harrison Ford's character is a replicant? There, there's that's that theory. one theory on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. but like mm. again, this like all I feel like I'm having a test right now that I didn't prep for, and I like studied things, but stuff <laughs> wasn't making sense because like I just find <laughs> both of these movies incredibly confusing. Like, well, there's just so much to unpack. But yeah, so, so that's, the internet, that's what it that's what it means. Well, that was one of the things it means. And that's that's the kind of if we accept that it's possible mm-hmm. that that Deckard was a replicant, uh, which the funny thing is, is, I never I had never considered that through the original movie. But while I was watching 2049, that's mm-hmm. actually the whole time. That's what I was thinking. Actually, even all the way up to the end, I was wondering. And so the, then I went back and so I read about that theory Um but, you know, I, I don't know, but I don't think that was, I think the unicorn had more to do with, you know, with, with Rachel and the fact that she was rare. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. unicorn symbolized like, you know, rare yeah. things, right? Mm-hmm. I'll go with well, that. In the 2049 yeah. film, it was that wooden horse, mm-hmm. right? right? The rare tree. I mean, he takes it to the dealer guy and, and says, you are rich. You know, this is rare. Um where'd you get this from mm-hmm. sort of hints of that a little bit too yeah. and with the whole dream thing like like you know his dreams about being chased as a boy trying to hide that toy hmm. but that goes into another question and I, which i wrote down here but that goes into the other film whenever you're ready to discuss that or we can at this point oh, we we can't we can go in any any can, direction can we say, can all I right go? so then then i'm gonna say right now <laughs> When they when they were investigating the potential of two children produced mm-hmm. by Decker right. and Rachel, it turns out there's only one child, which was the girl who's mm-hmm. in the bubble because mm-hmm. she has a a rare con- birth condition as a wow. reflection of what she was, which was a unique specimen of a human and a replicant having a child together. I don't know if she really has that rare condition that could have been completely yeah. made up as a reason to keep her safe in there. That's right. what I kind of thought it was. Yeah. It was just like, well, uh, that's just it. So then yeah. is, and, this... and it, I don't think it matters whether or not that condition is real mm-hmm. or not. The fact that right. it is keeping her safe. Right. Exactly. Kind of like, yeah. So then the little boy, was that just a fully generated story of herself when she was in the orphanage? But she converted well, it from a girl to a boy and then implanted um, those thoughts in the mind of Gosling's character. So sometimes when you are the age that that kid was was mm-hmm. four, five, six, and, and I might have the pictures to prove it, mm-hmm. your mother cuts your hair short and you look like a boy. So yeah. I don't I that that kid might have been her. Which short is, hair exactly, but she converted it into a boy. <laughs> no, I don't think that was. A, I don't think that was necessarily right, that a was, boy. Uh, but that could have but, still been her. But wasn't it Gosling's character who said those were his memories, and he well, was the one that he went. Mm-hmm. He he found when he finds the horse. Yeah, yeah he went he, later he, when he's in the orphanage or whatever, and he's and he re- recognizes where he's at now. The memory yeah. starts to come, and he's. Uh-huh. Very point. Yeah, that was see. one of my favorite parts of the whole film. Actually, mm-hmm. that was very powerful. As you're like, you're you're finally get, maybe getting something revealed here, and uh, it was just well done all the way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is, you see a kid, and the what the kid that you're seeing might not actually be a boy kid. It could be 
a girl. Absolutely. Well, that's so, what, that's absolutely. what I'm saying. And, but I'm, saying, oh, I'm yeah. also saying that possibly doesn't even matter whether it was her direct memory and you're seeing a version of what she looked like versus her memory, but implanted on an imagined version of what Rosling, uh, Ryan Gosling's character looked like. Mm-hmm. It also doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, was still her say, memory. Without yes. spoiling a certain Batman movie, there's a Batman movie that actually relies on that very thing to be like, actually, it wasn't this person at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you're right. But yeah, does it, you're right. Does it matter necessarily? Because it gets into the deeper question mm-hmm. of. Well, about, well, re- yeah. well, again, who this child was that was reproduced right. by Rachel mm-hmm. from being with Decker. And so mm-hmm. that's the whole story there. But there's yeah. still a lot of convoluted. Also, can we talk convoluted. about the word interlinked? Because that was just like. What are they? Oh, yeah. What are they saying? Where it's like interlinked, interlinked. When, it, it when just they're doing goes... the, the 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 question of personality to see. Yeah, you know. the baseline, which is just like what it like. This this is what I love about these films, and I felt this way about Dune. Everything is terrifying. Everything's uncomfortable, <laughs> and it seemed mm-hmm. like to me the most comfortable place in that entire movie was the nursing home. It seemed the most normal because even the baseline test seems just unnerving. Mm-hmm. And they'd have to do this every was like every day or every time you get back from hunting someone, he'd have to go back and do the baseline test. Mm-hmm. To I, see I don't know if he's if his emotions have been released, if he's been affected. Was that done by that to see if he's been affected by his mission that he was on? Yeah. Maybe I think so because yeah. they they specifically say it's a post traumatic stress. Mm-hmm baseline test mm-hmm. but just like the way they're doing it, it was just so unsettling which i loved but it's like what did what does any of it mean is it stuff that actually you can break it down and it means something or are they just or is it meant intentionally to be gibberish even in that universe not just to the audience but mm-hmm. right yeah to... well, well here's the thing one of the things i was thinking when i was re-watching the first film mm-hmm. where that emotion test, you know, is right, describing yeah, situations the, and they're trying to, he's trying to show that the, the thing on the other side of the table, you know, if it doesn't have the quote unquote correct or an emotional response, well, therefore it's replicant. What I was thinking is given in modern society today, we're very much more aware of autism and other things on the neurodiverse spectrum. Mm -hmm, And I was mm -hmm. thinking to myself, oh gosh, this is a terrible, terrible, terrible test because probably half the people we all know would fail, (laughs) would fail that because they're on the autism spectrum or on the neurodiverse Mm -hmm. spectrum. So what I'm wondering is if possibly, and I kind of like to think that they, in making 2049, someone said, yeah, we can't do that test that way for this reason we have to modernize it and so making it gibberish helps obscure <laughs> right you will not get upset <laughs> right so this is the tortoise test because that always yeah. right you see a tortoise okay, yeah that, that was the yeah. original right but, yeah in, yeah that in... makes actually more sense like that's really like it true if they didn't want to make it seem like okay well we want to acknowledge that yes there are there is no diversity let's just have mm-hmm. it be gibberish so it still mm-hmm. seems that creepy kind of unsettling way but it's not gonna you know uh, highlight that Mm -hmm. yeah now another thing about since we're talking about the androids in this film now are they mechanical Ah, androids no they're not androids you can't use it they're replicants they're replicants so they Mm -hmm. are bioengineered right so they're but then why does 
in the 2049 film, why does the character of um, the head of the York Corporation, Wallace, mm-hmm. oh, what a he weird seems guy. more mechanical or he has some type of a, uh, a little light that's on his neck and he augmented. Huh? I think he's just human with some augments. Yeah. But, but they get, see, they, they just don't just like the kids in, in uh, Boba Fett. Right, Mods. but in the eyes, but like, why does he talk like yeah. that? That's the thing. Or it's like every well, time you go into this guy's lair, he's like, "Oh, you're an angel, and if you're an angel, and you walk into heaven. You must give me a gift." It's like, what are you? What so are you saying? <laughs> Just say what <laughs> you're trying to so say. So deep, it makes no sense to us. Well, that was another folk. thing that was in the prior film and in this one yeah. is that all the replicants, when you saw their eyes, they almost look like when you shine the light into a cat's eye. Or a dog's eyes, and you see that weird reflection that is the pupil of the eye. And so they made it seem like, okay, whenever that happened, you knew that was a replica- replicant, and humans didn't have that type of thing. So there was another separation. But again, the movie, the original book was called Androids. Do androids yeah. dream of electric sheep? These are not androids, mm-hmm. these are more clone type creatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're more like you know they're bioengineered. We see that we yeah. see that very we see that in in the second film in twenty forty nine too as that gal comes down and he mm-hmm. meets her mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. um and it's so that certain. scene so did you get... the heck out of me me too so question Brian since you're at the Lord of the Rings fan did you get Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings vibes a little bit like the orcs coming out of that goo. Oh yeah, a little bit. Just, yeah, this is just so unnerving. And then like, he's like, "We can't make. We need to make so many of these, and I can't." So that's why he kills her. I'm like, "What? What are you trying to prove?" Well, that's it. That's kind of it. Because right, I, I was really, I was really confused. Because if the goal is to make more, then any one is going to be somewhat valuable. So why are you just randomly killing one? Because because he could. That... Because he because yeah. he was. You know, I'm the creator, so I bring you into the world, and I can take you out of this world. Is basically the so, way he was acting when he takes the scalpel to this mm, creature. So maybe, maybe a little bit of is it just purely to give us a greater sense that this guy does that not have evil? the best intentions in mm-hmm. mind for the human race after all. After all, let alone like this person that might be manufactured, but still is flesh and bone still has you know you know what i mean like to to me that whole scene was just one of the more gratuitous parts of the film Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. where it's just like that was i don't know i just just, was a little overkill on everything Mm -hmm. i mean even Mm -hmm. even the nudity was overkill for that scene you know and and i know it's supposed to be the birth of you know babies come out naked for crying out loud but it's like mm-hmm. to me it was just a little bit too i was also good, just you know, like uh, watching it and it's like oh wait a minute this is I, like yes it's a movie but this is a real scene like there's an actor and she's playing her part and i'm like even as an actor doesn't that like <laughs> he's just like caressing you and you're all in this oil and it's like ooh, well, that would not be a fun scene to to film yeah. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna slip another twenty Money. underneath the know. door. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just just. I think nobody else has. You just do this. I, okay? If <laughs> if it was to get if it was to get get a point across that this guy is evil, boy, did it work. But yeah. do you need... this this is this is I don't think I don't think that's why I call it gratuitous. Mm-hmm. I just I yeah. I've, 
there, there's all sorts of reasons. This film was rated R, right? Yes, it was. 2049. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's, that I was think, the original. I, I think that, oh, the original was too. Yep. Um, so, but I just, I just think for me that that scene didn't, was not effective. It was not necessary. I don't um, think so. Yeah, I agree. But because if I don't, there, maybe if, there is something deeper though, Chris, you know, maybe you I, and I are just missing it. I don't know. I hope so. Because if the point is to convey that he's evil, it's like, okay, you don't want to judge a book by its cover. I get that. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, TV has taught us if you walk around in a weird place saying weird sounding things, you're probably not the person with the best intentions, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I do wonder if there was like, because I, I feel like with that, with both films, mm-hmm. everything is so intentional. So there must be some deeper meaning to it that I'm we're just not. Okay. realizing well everything's so intentional but then as these things go through editing and whatever you know so, like maybe there was a like a little bit that got cut that really would have helped the audience or mm-hmm. vice versa was, was you know. she not perfect yeah. in for some reason could that well, be see flawed? that's what i was like like because again he wants he to read them because i guess that might be the more cost-effective way to make more well yeah the, if they can just reproduce on their so, own then of course you have a replacement right. for humanity you have a new race of humans that are these replicants because they are human they are living creatures right so i'm confused as to whether because the thing is I, you know i was a little so at first i was like no one wants them to reproduce on their own right yeah okay? that's, the, that's but the feeling you get then it seemed like what he was saying is he does want them to produce on his own because of this whole then he could have more of them faster Right. Well, and and there's this. Uh, am I remembering this right? In the film, mm-hmm. at the at the beginning of the film, Dave Batista, great great mm-hmm. character, mysterious. He's everywhere. I love him. He, he really is, yeah. is showing up everywhere. He, he, um, he's he's like the Rock and yes! uh, I said that the other day to my husband and and Aquaman. <laughs> he's like every well, especially after Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh my god, this guy is funny. Yeah, <laughs> talent, you know. That's well, good. well, at the beginning, it's so hysterical he, in this movie. Okay, right at ahead. the beginning, he says, "He says because I've seen a miracle." Mm-hmm. Right, he calls it a miracle, and of course, at that point in time, we don't know what he's what the heck he's talking mm-hmm. about. What do you mean you've seen a miracle? Right. And so that begins to be unpacked, and so there's this th- this overarching feeling throughout the whole film that if if these guys can procreate the whole world's changing in a way that the humans don't want it to change or it's a step farther beyond and it could apparently they're all protecting it you know they don't Mm -hmm. want this information to come out because there could be rioting in the streets whatever you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so that's a very interesting thing i I found that incredibly fascinating about this film in particular a lot of parallels or relationships to picard season one and the story behind uh, the Martian replicants, you know, and the, the mm-hmm. that Mars uprising as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kept thinking that's about true. that. That's a very mm-hmm. interesting point of view. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think with the Dave character at the beginning, he is, when he says a miracle, he saw the miracle of a replicant giving birth mm-hmm. to a child. So that's, that was straightforward. But the poor guy, he's there like in the movie for five minutes and he's been protecting this, this location for decades. And all of a sudden, guess what? You're dead. 
You know, it's like too bad. You know, it was because we didn't really get to enjoy his character as much. Eh. But then again, you know, movie moves <laughs> along. Dina just right rid him off right there. He just, it's okay. Eh. I mean, because he's everywhere, so it's okay. So I know we'll see him plenty of other places. I mean, I I really do okay. enjoy seeing him in things, okay. and I know I will see him all these so, other places. So it's okay. So I've got to ask. I've got to Go ask the food question because yes. this is what I do when I when we watch movies. I got to ask about already. the food. Mm-hmm. Are we so are we to take like understand that for the most part the majority of what people are eating are those worms mm-hmm. or are there yeah. other for the most yes. part there's thing. no animals that's the whole thing right. with the okay. with the, you know there are no animals mm-hmm. so you need another source of protein mm-hmm. and so this is all meant to be post apocalyptic yeah you right know, there yes. was nuclear devastation and and all that stuff so so yep and it's so okay. fascinating too and, and yeah. better than eating people I, I mean, right. I suppose this like, is the year. The last year was the year for soil and green. I always kids. tell my friends. <laughs> so, um, so the fascinating thing, one of the things mm-hmm. I found fascinating about the 2049 film in particular mm-hmm. is Ryan Gosling's character coming home. He's facing a, a, a type of racism for lack. I mean, we see it in, as he walks mm-hmm. through the police station, the one mm-hmm. officer leans in and says something. Yeah. I can't remember the exact word he uses. Skin job. Skin, Skin job. job. Yeah. And then uh, um, as he's coming into his apartment complex, mm-hmm. we see that people are yelling at him and he is not beloved of mm-hmm. anybody. And so he stands out and he comes into his apartment and he's got that robotic type arm that mm-hmm. scissors in and out. And then it's got mm-hmm. his, what they call her joy. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, the only thing he's got is a hologram, right? Interesting how he is escaping, which is what everybody does with them. But even his food, she comes and prepare and, you know, he sees an image of a home cooked meal that doesn't look like worms, Mm -hmm. you know, In this yeah. escapism that he has to happen. I mean, it's been done in in various different films as well. So this is not a, you know, original to twenty forty nine. But it just mm-hmm. was fascinating to see that even him, he's trying to escape, and he's trying to but, feel. He's trying to to have a life. He's trying to find peace and happiness, and it's all fake. It's not real. Yeah. Joy might have been my favorite character in mm-hmm. that movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, she was very complex. You know, I, mean, I mean, I'm I'm very yeah. interested and attached to AI mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and robots and stuff. And I, I think, yeah, I, I loved her character so much. She was a visual visualization of her. From she was that a, right, film, yeah. Where she An is evolution a, yeah. of what Alexa's gonna turn into yeah. in a few generations. It, I have to say, like watching this and then immediately talking to Alexa and telling her to turn on my studio was a very strange thing i was like man are we are we getting there this is gonna be we're getting there but i just hope we don't like also mess up our planet in the process even though we're probably doing a pretty good job of that so that like i don't want alexa to be the only way we can find peace can can i can i bring up a subject now that's been on my mind since i saw these films sure Mm. it's called short-sightedness in that when the movie came out in 1982, it was Los Angeles 2019. Well, kids, I hate to let you know, but Los Angeles in 2019 looks a lot like Los Angeles in 1982. <laughs> and in 2049, 
it really wouldn't evolved that much either. So I always think that it should have been Los Angeles 2119. Let's put it that far ahead mm. rather than such a short time close to when the movie came out to when it was going to, I mean, yeah. And I guess in 1982, yeah. I would have loved to have flying cars too. And I was promised them even going back to the, the Jetsons, but darn, right. if I don't have those flying cars now, kids, well, back you know? to the future. I mean, the flying cars were cool, but like, I'm happy. It doesn't look like Blade Runner. Yeah. That place is miserable. Except the cars. I mean, I'll say well, it's, being able it's to be post-apocalyptic and, <laughs> take, not... and taking a nap. I'm but, in. But, but but again, if it's post-apocalyptic, Mm-hmm. Is that because that's how they depicted uh, Las Vegas in 2049? Mm-hmm. That that everyone got out of Dodge after mm-hmm. the nuclear war. But where was the nuclear war? We don't I, see that. Yeah, they, in the, the movie they don't effect. tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. so that happens in between. There's both no films, with, right? With no, no, no. It was before oh. the first film. No, mm-hmm. with no an, with again with no animals. There, there's no animals. Mm-hmm. You know, there there might be some, but you have to be you know be like really 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 wealthy to you know have them. Um, or even the, 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 the good the, fakes. The original yeah. book of have, wanting to have a real sheep as yeah. opposed yeah. to an animated one. Or yep. Um, so no, so a lot of it. Right. That that kind of setup does come i think probably from the book of what the the world is like but mm-hmm. even still in like you know 1982 picturing 40 years into the future even now picturing 40 years into the future is not we don't picture it like it's going to be today i mean it's mm-hmm. probably going to be closer if we go out into our our local cities mm-hmm. our local cities will probably look closer to what they do today than anything we vision you know here but i i, I don't think it's crazy to have like a you know, 40 years in the future have like I think, kind of a vastly yeah, different look. I, I agree. So, I also I also think, Steve, and this this is not to rebut you or or say something contrary to what you just oh, said. But I say something contrary. I just, I just did. I, <laughs> well, I just I think that it's also intriguing. Maybe there's a statement being made on some level too. Like we got to get our act together. This could mm-hmm. happen. And it's it may not be that far off, you know. I mean, we we talk I, about all kinds of stuff like that, where you know we've got to make some changes if we want to see this planet survive another hundred, two hundred thousand years. You know what I mean? So I wonder, I wonder if there's something intriguing. But then with what Adina said, that you know, forty years, that seems like a long time right yeah. now. But, but it crying out loud, yeah. I'm 43, and it seems like yesterday I was eight. You Looking know, like, back I just, seems quick. Looking yeah. forward, mm-hmm. it seems like forever from now. Yeah, yeah. For me, it seems like, yeah. Like, looking at it now, it's like strange. Yeah, 2019. But I mean, at the time, I could see, yeah, it makes sense. It's the future. But what I find interesting is that nobody talks about, you can see in like both Deckard and Kay, mm. Mm-hmm. They're both kind of miserable. They're trying to just find some happiness in life. But I feel like everybody else are just having conversations about stuff and they're not talking about like no one says, man, this is really depressing. Just everybody just seems totally OK with it, but which makes really... it slightly more. Well, that's certain... because that's because their life is different, though. Mm-hmm. Right. Deckard has to hunt people down. Ryan Gosling's what, what's Ryan Gosling's character in this? He's a Blade well, Runner he's, too. He's doing, yeah, he yeah. people down. But did as he well. have? A, he had a name though. What's what was his K. name? Okay. Hey. You know, like like their existence is miserable mm-hmm. because they're hunting living things down mm-hmm. and risking their own lives to do that, mm-hmm. and and also being controlled. Mm-hmm. Right. K is being controlled 
mm-hmm. basically as a slave, but with wrappings of getting paid, of having an apartment, of being treated with some generosity and kindness. But right. a slave is still a freaking slave. See, I was going you know I mean? by like not just that, but you said on the fact that it's always raining and like mm-hmm. there's lights everywhere. You can't, they don't seem to have blinds and just. And right. all this, just I, motif. I think that's just a motif. Yeah, but it's a motif, yeah. but it just feels like that's got to be like, well, that's got to eat up at him. Like, that's why he goes to the trouble of of buying this holographic thing to make his food look appealing because he's eating this junk and everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, well, just other other people are probably that. doing it too. And yeah. just we don't yeah. see it because we're well, just seeing the movie from their, their point of view. Well, it's just, it's just strange that you don't ever hear any conversations about it. Mm-hmm. And that's for mm-hmm. me makes it more unnerving that everybody's yeah. just so used to it. And I wonder like if you were to go, I don't know, even if you were to look, uh, I don't know. Never mind. It doesn't, doesn't track. <laughs> Okay, the that's the beauty of, of 1982 Blade Runner is that they created a feeling and a look of Los Angeles of rainy, yeah. Asian, mm. all that. What other films have reproduced that same specific look? Are we talking about The Fifth Element? Are we talking mm-hmm. about this, even in the cities of Star Wars, the series, right, where right. Mandalorian mm-hmm. is, and so on, you have this Sid Mead, the genius that he is, and he was, I'm sorry, he's not around with us anymore, but he created an entire world that has been reused and reused and reused yeah. because it's so well done. That's what you expect the future to be. Dark, dismal, rainy uncomfortable and he did a great job of it now the the asian portion i've always wondered about but everything else pure genius really oh it's, it's the oh, yeah, film for sure. was groundbreaking for that mm-hmm. and i do love it when star wars does it but even star wars feels a little less well, like not entirely but a little star less wars miserable. is I feel like Star Wars, you can't completely compare because that was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Well, it's but not Earth. still the look. It's not you Earth. want to create a look. I mean, you, you look at the mm-hmm. cities that, you know, even in, in um, um, Obi-Wan, when he, they, they're in the town mm-hmm. uh, with, yeah. with uh, young uh, um, Leia, it's a dark, dismal look. It has an Asian feel to it. It has that Crampton. Like, and, yeah. Like, I think it's more and more recent, but that's a whole other tangent. But more recent Star Wars films seems to do that. Yeah. But I that's the thing that I love most about these films. Like the same thing I loved about Blade, uh, not Blade Runner, if we're talking about it, Dune, <laughs> where it's just everything oh, yeah. Yeah. seems slightly uncomfortable. Everything's unsettling. Mm-hmm. And we're exposed to a world that we kind of recognize because we see elements that we recognize, mm-hmm. but it's just mm-hmm. so vastly different than our daily lives that yeah. it's like whoa yeah. what by is the way going Chris, whenever i watch television at all now because you have you have coined this phrase uncomfortable when it comes <laughs> okay. to watching now no matter what show i am i if if something is a little off or weird to me i go oh that's uncomfortable and i think <laughs> i think of you when i do that and cool I'm glad to know my that. wife thinks yeah. i'm weird but i'm just paying homage to Christian Fox. Oh, great. So now I know your wife thinks I'm weird. No, no, no. She Charming. thinks I'm weird. She has no idea <laughs> what the origin of the word uncomfortable for me, but uh... <laughs> Right. Okay. This, this film is uncomfortable though. These films are un... these are not films you sit down and watch and go, yippee! And, you know, this is great fun. It's the these are yeah. thinking films. Mm-hmm. You cannot watch these films and be about 
you're, uh, you, you know, if you want to know what's happening, you have to pay attention. You have to listen. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to watch long camera pans and, you know, and you're watching their faces. And it's one thing I loved about the Harrison Ford is, you know, one of the great all times, uh, but, but he's got such an interesting face and he can do a lot with his eyes. Mm-hmm. So you can watch, he's perfectly suited for Blade Runner. The original, he was just perfectly suited for it because you can watch him and not look away for a long time because he's saying so much with his eyes. Mm-hmm. Just uh, and, uh, Gary Cooper so, was yeah, great at that. Cary Grant favorite. was great at that. Um, you know, other other actors are great at that too. But uh, I felt like one of the things I was impressed with twenty forty nine, Ryan Gosling is great at yeah, that. Yeah, he is. He so did good in this. so much with his eyes. And I don't know if there was coaching, if there was back and forth, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, you got it, Ryan, this is going to be all eyeballs for you. You know, um, you got to portray stuff through your eyes. Um, he, Ryan Gosling just did a fantastic job. I, I, there were moments in this film where I'm like, I, I don't think people realize how hard it is to do that, to have a camera right on you and be able to pull something like that. I know he's getting direction. I know there's preparation and he's thinking and he's got his own backstory and motivation, all that stuff. But um, that's for, that for me is what I found most intriguing is watching Ryan Gosling mm-hmm. in his eyes tell the story of what was going on inside of him. Yes. To the point to where he's he's in the room with the girl in the bubble and he's made this discovery, this realization where he finally is able to release it. Remember that scene where mm-hmm. where he just goes, ah, and I forget exactly what he said, but he just screams and then he walks out of the room like normal because he's got to be about his business, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm going to, you know, I guess this is a little confession. So even though, you know, talking about Blade Runner was my idea and no, no, and no, you're not. I no, what? did not actually ter- i didn't fully enjoy blade runner 2049 oh that's okay, okay. That's, yeah no uh, that's my, my my so when you mentioned harrison ford that was kind of when he finally showed up in the film that was when i actually finally sort of started to enjoy it a little bit i mean there were some moments leading up to that but wasn't it like I, two you know, hours in he finally oh my gosh yes, i think it's it like, like two, two hours yeah film. and he wasn't in it for enough so when i um so i watched I, I wa- rewatched the original on my own. And actually at, at this point, I think, yeah, that whole, like a younger me liked the noir stuff. <laughs> Older me wants things to be a little happier and a little bit, you know, Star more Trek for the voyage home. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's, <laughs> well, you know, yes. So, so I actually wouldn't necessarily recommend, like recommend the original to anyone, except if they are looking to like, you know, understand science fiction kind of from a historical standpoint, because I do believe that there is, you know, putting Blade Runner, it was it was a groundbreaking film, mm-hmm. didn't necessarily get the appreciation exactly right away, it, you know, took took a little bit of time. But I was expecting Blade Runner 2049 to be less noir and more for a modern audience, which is mm-hmm. not yeah. more. I don't think mm-hmm. is that. Okay. So I was surprised that it was that, that it was that long that way. And we didn't see Harrison Ford till, yeah, like, and, and he wasn't in it for that long mm-hmm. either. I wanted more Harrison Ford. Adina? Yeah. Adina? 
Do yeah. not feel bad because that's exactly how bad. we felt when <laughs> when we saw it at the theater when it came out in 2017. Mm-hmm. We went in there going, oh, right. This is going to be, a tr- you know, an admission. Mm-hmm. We know Harrison Ford's going to be in it. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you're going, when's he Forever. showing up? Yeah. When's he showing up? This movie is very slow. So slow that if they cut out a lot of the staring sequences, the movie would be about 38 minutes long. Because that's all you'd want to see is the Harrison Ford story, because that's when it finally gets to the point of the meat of the story. But yeah. see, the thing, I, I think you're right. I did enjoy this, like even up until Harrison, like I enjoyed Harrison Ford, but I enjoyed both times just because like it's. It's weird. It's more like an experience than like, again, this is not a film I'm going to be watching all the time, but mm-hmm. just the cinematography, the lighting, the music was just mm-hmm. so well done where it's like, you got to watch it, but it's long and you're right. You could cut out a lot of stuff because I was like, okay, I got to watch this for, for the podcast. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. But I do remember watching it in theaters and being like, whoa, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on here that I'm not processing. I think but I just remember like the yeah. opening conversation being a lot mm-hmm. longer than what it actually was where i'm like mm-hmm. okay he goes in they have this long weird conversation and then he kills him i think is what happened and then yep, i went up exactly and watched right. it and i'm like okay this conversation's it's a bit faster than i expected mm-hmm. yeah well dialogue still, moves dia- this happens the same thing in novels dialogue ups your pacing mm-hmm. right it happens in the novel novels too is if you want to slow things down don't use dialogue if you want to speed things up use dialogue and, mm-hmm. and the same thing in the movie but movies usually are more dialogue than this one yeah because yeah. i did remember like it's like all right so i got to skip because there's farming okay i get it i got the the idea he's farming okay let me just cut to when when they actually had that conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, now that said, I do want to agree with Brian. What Brian said a few minutes ago is still Ryan Gosling still did a great oh, job yeah. of it. There's just a lot of it. There's just a lot. There's a there's yeah. two hours yeah. and forty three minutes worth of Ryan Gosling. You know, though, I have to say, being emotional, I have okay. to say, I, I I'm I'm getting the the idea here that perhaps I enjoy the 2049 film more than the rest of you. Um, just from some of my statements, how I'm feeling, how you guys are talking about it, because mm-hmm. I got to say the emotional buildup for this film, even though it was long, uh, it, I felt like the payoff was pretty daggone good in in the end. That I just I feel like I feel like when Harrison Ford finally shows up, you're he shows up mm-hmm. and you know i just i just think it's i i loved that part of it now i think they you know they could have shaved half an hour off of that mm-hmm. until he shows up easy but at the same time it's you know it is the style of the film they were going for and mm-hmm. i think it's it is too longer than it needed to be but at the same time i'm not the one making the film and you know what i mean calling those shots but mm-hmm. I just, for me, the payoff was wonderful and you get to see Harris. And I think it perhaps, and here's where I would push back a little bit that as far as wanting more Harrison Ford, I think it's what made it so good when he was in the film. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it gave you just the, just the, you know, so many 
people just go on and on and on and they you know you something great they turn into a drudgery and a, let's okay. get off the stage you know what i mean sure maybe not necessarily more harrison ford like but me if, talking if, the, if that half hour or so that gets cut is cut from the earlier part of the film before he shows up right so right. leave everything from when he shows up to the end leave all that i agree with it's you the earlier stuff. i agree with you 100%. yeah it just makes Absolutely. less of I mean, yeah i i understand the idea of a parent meeting its child after so many years not knowing what happened to that child how they developed what they became or even if they were still alive and then you get to meet the child and it's it just happens and then of course rosling gosling dies i guess mm -hmm. that's right at the end yeah. um but it would have been interesting to see more of that maybe if they had expanded more of the relationship between a father and a daughter coming together and maybe they would have clarified was she ill or not ill was that all but you know you doesn't, know, I don't think been. it matters, you know, mm -hmm. whether she really was sick or that was a ruse. Well, no, but we could matter. have found that out. But we could, but, but we would have seen the father dealing with his daughter and making up for the lost right. time or whatever. And yeah. the fact that she's this super genius who implants and creates memories for people. Yeah. See, I think leaving that the way they left that, I was mm -hmm. very happy with the ending. Okay. I, I, you know, just kind of like the knowledge of. We know that that's the, the daughter. We mm -hmm. know he's about to meet her. <clears throat> I'm okay with like, I, I was very happy with the ending. The ending okay. actually is probably maybe my, my favorite part. And and I did like how they kind of did twist us around into believing that maybe he was the child and then no, he, he, he really wasn't. And that we did meet the child in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I really did like how they do that. I thought that part yeah. got pulled off really well. So yeah. I think that, you know, again, looking at when you talked about other Philip Dick films like Total Recall, the concept of putting a memory into someone mm -hmm. is a theme that that is liked in his mm -hmm. films of yeah. implanted memories or Minority Report is minority all about, thing, mm -hmm. you know, about, right. oh, they can You're... see the future mm -hmm. implanted memory. So yeah. I think that's the one. I don't know about the last film. I I saw a couple. A scanner of, darkly. Yeah, I saw the yeah. I saw a uh, trailer for it. I watched that. Mm -hmm. and I because I didn't even know that movie existed. Oh. Yeah. Homework. <laughs> Work always homework. For the rest of my life, it's homework. I've watched enough movies. I have to watch more. Tough. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the one thing I also wanted to say about that whole concept of, you know, should people watch this movie or not if they haven't? Um, like I said, mm. I, I probably would tell people, you know, unless you're, if you're going for, you kind of want to round out your sci-fi education, yeah. you know, do it for the educational, for mm -hmm. the historical, whatever. Don't do it to just be entertained. Because um, I, I yeah. think, you know, at the time it came out, a lot of what they did was new with, with replicants and all these things. But mm -hmm. at this point, there's been so much done. And then the same thing with the second one, I, I, you know, it was kind of funny because when I was watching it over the weekend, the first one, I didn't even bother to ask my husband because I knew he was not going to like it. I knew he would, was not going to like the first one. Mm -hmm. But the second one, I was like, well, again, I also thought the second one would be more modern and not mm -hmm. noir. Mm -hmm. So I asked, I was like, hey, will you watch this with me? He's like, sure. And he's like, who is in it? I was like, Ryan Gosling. He's like, sure. You know, um, but then he started watching with me and I think he, I think about half hour 40 minutes in he's like i'm done you know <laughs> really yeah See, it has to it, wow and that, your, I and guess your point it, is you know. i get that but at like and it you know what it, it's different though i'm saying mm -hmm. wow but 
I've walked away from films though like well, that too. Yeah. It's but we were you know going to talk about it so I didn't feel like yeah. I could I mean I could have walked away for early warranty. I, but I happen I to a- like though. Here's the thing. Like I could never watch this film with my wife because mm-hmm. it is so slow and drags on and mm-hmm. there's a you you just have to pay attention, yeah. you know. Well, and so for me I like those types of films where they're not necessarily easy subject matter. And and let's not forget too, 2049 has been called one of the most important films of the century, actually. What? Yes. I looked at, I saw that. It's been called one of the most important films in the last century because of all the themes that it covers throughout the film. So. I am. Mm-hmm. I, 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 inquiring minds want to know who the I did not say. Notice one of the most important, not one of the best. That's right. fair. One that's of the fair. Be- well, not one of the most loved, but one of the most important films. When you say important about a film, it has to be something that is either groundbreaking, reestablishes an old genre, or moves the the idea of filmmaking to another level. I mean, okay. Rocky, okay, Rocky is an old-fashioned fight film that was recreated, and that made it very good. Um, you watch Citizen Kane. Is Citizen Kane the greatest movie of all time? A lot of people say so. A lot of people don't agree with that, that there's other greater films than that. It's, you know, so when they say that about this of this century, is that right? Did you say that, Brian, Mm -hmm. of this century? That's a lot. There's a lot of other films that came out during the period of time that that others may disagree with that being that (laughs) statement and say this is the best film or the most groundbreaking film of the 21st century. But it depends on how many there are. I mean, you could say if there's like a thousand groundbreaking, well, I should say a thousand, but there could be a big enough list that can include this, but also the greats. I don't know if this personally was like groundbreaking. I think it's interesting that this is so, this is done 30 years later Mm -hmm. and this might be not, okay, how do I phrase this? It's not like it's like the best example of updating a modern, of an older franchise. I think, Probably Top Gun did a really good job of it, but it's so strange to find a movie that's made so like 30 years later after the original, but have it feel sort of like the original, but Mm -hmm. only with better effects. Because even the filmmaking methods and the way it's shot and the feeling around it feels like it's old Blade Runner, which is why I guess like Adina, your husband didn't like it because it felt like very kind of slow Blade Runner only maybe slightly prettier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, if I had really known that it was going to be more, still more the noir style, like I I didn't realize that going in. If I'd realized that going in, I would have known, yes, no, this is not, this is not for him. Um, but because we didn't know that going in, I thought it was going to be a little bit more modern action-y. Mm-hmm. But yes, I, mm-hmm. I agree. They did a great job of the the continuity between the films, between like 30 years apart or so. Um, yeah, and and yes, but the funny thing is he... <laughs> Right now, he will tell you that Top Gun, the new Top Gun, is his favorite all-time movie. And almost daily for the last month, I hear new ways of why that movie is like the best movie of. Mm-hmm. of oh, like, it's so all good because I didn't no. care. Like I have to say, I didn't like Top Gun one. I saw it a bunch of mm-hmm. times, but Top mm-hmm. Gun two, 
perfect and we don't yeah. need to get into it because yeah. it's not i'm gonna watch it's that i'm gonna watch that soon it's on amazon so uh yeah. i'm reading a little bit here as we've been talking i was trying to find the article <laughs> that called 20 uh, blade runner 2049 one of the most important films of the last century but uh villeneuve really says this was a near disaster for him yeah it was yeah. it could have mm -hmm. ruined his directing career um here's so the reason that I, I could kind of maybe see that some folks said that this was an important film it is because what we were talking a little bit about before we started recording this evening is when we talk about modern or current AI technologies, you know, chat GPT mm -hmm. is of discussion recently. Um, and you guys know my, my opinion of it is, you know, which was uh, for anyone, everyone should go see the XKCD comic on simple answers. Um which, which basically means it's, it's really cool, it's really neat, but it's not going to, like, kill us all. But that that's the whole mm -hmm. thing is what they did in the Blade Runner, they created something, and then they outlawed it, you know, when yeah. it didn't mm -hmm. do what they wanted. And that is an interesting <clears throat> thing. It's like, what, what, what gives us the right to do that, you know, um, just because we created it? Right. You know, doesn't it have – and this is – this goes into some of the themes that they talked about in Star Trek, too, with data, you know, like – why doesn't data have full rights like anything? The fact that he was not born, <laughs> that he was made, what's the real difference there? And so what the interesting thing that Blade Runner does is we've created something and now we're saying, oh, it's dangerous. So we got to uncreate it. We got to outlaw it. We got to do whatever. Right. Or right. maybe create a new version. And now this version is okay as long as yeah. it sticks within the rules and this version is not. And like that kind of thing, as we develop technologies like the Alexas and the series and now chat GPT and mm -hmm. all these things that could be, I could see that being okay. The reason then, why this is important. Yeah. Okay. And even like data who is a friendly guy, same with the doctor, super friendly. Everybody loves them, but switch of a button. They can go rogue. Okay. So Oh yeah. Not, I'm not saying that it's a, yeah. that, that we shouldn't trust it because of it. I just was, I don't okay. know, even though the point I was making, never mind. Since, since we're on the Star Trek theme, kids, mm -hmm. let's go back to Khan, a genetically engineered human mm -hmm. who turns against its masters and they toss it out into space to get rid of it. And then in Enterprise, you find out that they have hidden away some of these augments because they're ashamed of it they're afraid of it they're afraid it might mm -hmm. rise up again and you you say why why did they now want to get rid of the replicants because they're afraid that they'll replace humanity but you can but the, here's the thing and that what what gets me mm -hmm. is why do we treat things that were created mm. in any other way other than two people didn't act or one person went to the doctor and then a baby was born. Um, you know, like why does that get to be different? Well, especially it... when that creation can also go awry. We have serial killers, you know, we have people who do very bad, evil things. Oh, yeah. So why, why does it matter how the thing was created that determines how we treat it? Mm -hmm. Well, because to be fair though, we've treated well, it just as this is like as a human race, we've treated <laughs> other humans pretty awfully too well, well, yes, so not yes. that discriminant no or... no but i guess but there's a you know yes i i agree we're not good for how we've treated other people right. sure and we have certainly have the capacity to do that again but what this movie is doing and and things like this is really mm. it, it's the line is not 
treating different groups of humans. It's treating something that was created via the kind of typical human process Mm -hmm. versus something created in a different way. That's where that dividing line is. And we treat those differently. And, And again, similar, I would say, I would argue I'm on the side of we shouldn't create them like we should allow them to live and have their lives and just abide by the normal yeah, rules of what I, the rest of us do. I think so. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would say. And, but I wonder if it's also just because it's different and we're just not comfortable with things mm-hmm. being different. And, and you're also forgetting one thing about Blade Runner 1982, which was the replicants were given a four-hour lifespan. Excuse me, four-year life, yeah. four-year lifespan. So the question also that was posed in that film is, when am I dying? When do I die? Why can't I live like the rest of you? Why can't I have a full mm-hmm. and complete life? And it was very interesting that in that movie, Rutger Howard's character is a vicious, horrible killer mm-hmm. until the moment before he dies. And then he has an epiphany of about why I can't let Harrison Ford's character die. I'm going to grab him and pull him up and save his life because at this moment of my life coming to an end, I want to do at least one decent thing. And that was one of the big points of that film, which is why does someone decide when you're born and why does someone decide when you die? Because it's already been set up by someone else. And that's that's controlling a living organism beyond its fairness. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. So I think those, so that whole stuff might be why, because I think we are possibly on the verge of having to answer some of these questions right. in real life. It's true. Which that might be why this is an important film. Maybe it is. Yes. Now, do you have to spend almost three hours of your life watching it? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I, I would put that time to certain key Star Trek episodes that deal with the same thing. <laughs> right. Well, I wonder see, again, I wonder if. You know, there are certain kind of films that can do really well at the box office and be over, be two and a half hours or longer. Avatar, The Way of the Water. And, you know, but that film, that that film, it's worth going to see, in my opinion. Okay. But it is, it keeps moving, though. There's plenty of action. There's plenty of dialogue. There's plenty of new things happening all the time that keeps you intrigued, that keeps you wanting to know more and keeps you in the seat without yawning more than a couple times, you yeah. know? I, I'm yeah. not against a three-hour movie just because Oh, I know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's just, yeah. just this one. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wonder if to... it would have been... I'm sorry, Chris. Let me say this real quick and I'll let you go. This... Uh, I wonder if this film would have been... If they would have taken a different route at it and say, wait a minute, this is a different type of audience... Um, these films, it's real iffy if this film is going to take off and people are going to come pay for this by the droves to see it. Maybe we ought to shorten it up and make it, you know, whatever. Um, but I'd be, I'd be interested in that process from the director and in the producers and the writers, like, you know, no. For, forget the producers, forget the directors, forget everybody else. What they need to do is instead of these director's cuts, they need fan cuts. <laughs> we need like to do the fan. cut of the film. Oh, that would be fun. Super uh, there's, fan there's, cut. Go ahead, there's, Chris. Um, 
Oh, I can't think of the movie, but there's there's like quite a few movies out there where it's like if you people always joke you should watch the fan edit of that version of that movie yeah. because mm. it's more concise, it's faster, I like more that. enjoyable. But I think mm. like for me, like although I do love movies, there's been a lot of movies that have come out in the in recent years that have been two and a half hours that I've loved. But I think generally, if you can do something in two hours, I sort of miss the hour and a half mm-hmm. where it's just like if you can have a really good movie hour and a half you come mm-hmm. in you get to the point and you leave it's like okay yes. great some, some of my favorite movies though too thinking about it but again it wasn't this noir genre of science fiction you know um films like i was just digging through my dvd box the other day because i thought i had a dvd copy of the blade runner which i didn't um but uh uh films that i have in there that I haven't watched in a long time that i might have to Ben-Hur, the original Ben-Hur mm-hmm. with Charlton Heston. Four-hour film, Whoa. all-time classic, won like 11 Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, films like Spartacus with Kirk Douglas. Uh, thank you. Which Loved. even had, remember, they had they actually had intermissions in those films. Right, right. You could walk out of the theater, go use the restroom, come back because there was an intermission. <laughs> That's right. You know, let's do um, that again. Let's bring that back in. That would be lobby. great. <laughs> because the other films, and I, I can't. Those are the those are the two that West Side Story for crying out loud had really? an intermission. The original, yep, like yeah, the, the original? original West Side Story, and hmm. even the new one I think did too. I think they paid homage that way to it. And so hmm. I, it just you know, it's not that the long films. There's just got to be something happening. You know, yeah, it's got to like be something with, happening. Um, like with like, with Avengers Endgame, which I love, but I still think it's hilarious and maybe a little problematic that articles had to come out to say, okay, here are the points when you can take a break and go to the washroom. Like, if you have to do that, yeah, then maybe an intermission there's a, there's might be good. Yeah. I I yeah. had to make my own when I saw that film. I had to go leave the theater because <laughs> I had to go use the restroom. Right. And when I came back, I said to my wife, "What did I miss?" She said, "Nothing. They had another fight. Nothing happened." <laughs> okay, I was I missed, I missed like ten minutes the movie and it didn't affect me or yep. affect it. So you know, let's bring back the intermission, kids. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah. well, speaking of intermission, this isn't <laughs> yes. quite that, but I'm going to ask one final quick question, and then yes. we're gonna we're gonna wrap up for this evening because I have okay. to go to the use the potty or something like that. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay. Final question: How do you know you're not a replicant? Uh, you know, do you know what I, I wrote down, Adina? Don't mess you know what yeah. I wrote down? I wrote, yeah. how do you know I'm not? Wake up. It's time to find out. See, my thing is, if I don't, I, I don't know, but it's like, does it, at this point, does it matter? Because you're, you already have, you have a family. Mm-hmm. People don't know you're a replicant. The only, my only thing would be, wait a minute, if I'm a replicant and it's like, okay, with replicant rules, do they gain weight? Because if they don't, I would be really mad that I spent all this time working out, which clearly I had to do. But I guess if I was a replicant, I still would have had to do it. So then at that point, it's like, well, what does it matter? Because I still feel like I, I have a life. I, have I think family. that's a good measurement. I think yeah. the fact that I have um, grown in weight and stature in various parts of my body that I'm much bigger than I was when I was a teenager. And, you know, there's less muscle mass. I think the, the idea is that replicants pretty much stay the same, right? Well, replicants. Uh, well, I don't think we know. I don't think we know that. 
No, because yeah, they I only guess have I'm a short period of with... life. They only have right. Well, years. the original ones only had a short period mm-hmm. of life. But not yeah. like the nines, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. There's always the eights yeah. that had the yeah. short yeah. span. They hint, yeah. they hint at a little bit extra strength and, yeah. you know, stuff yeah. like that. So, oh, yeah, the extra strength. For me, that's 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 how I know I'm not a replicant as I've. Okay. Yeah, I'm way but out I, of shape. Ultimately, too out of shape to be a replicant. <laughs> Brian, do you represent or re- do you see a, yourself in your dad, or do you see your dad in you? Oh, I'm this at times spitting image of my father. Yeah. Then you, sir, uh, are a replicant. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> oh, you know what? Maybe I am a replicant because I'm adopted. I don't know what my birth parents look like. Ooh. So maybe I'm a replicant. Ah, maybe this was a cover up. Ah, okay. I kind of okay. hope so. Adina, I love to, you got to answer imagine. the question too. Come on, no, what about? I, no, I don't. <laughs> True, but we're not going to make you. <laughs> exactly. So everybody, do we have any other final words that we want to say before we we close out this evening? No. Just Anna to Armis is always amazing in her stuff. I'm so glad that she's like now popping up in a ton of movies. Mm, cool. Yeah, I do have something to say. Mm-hmm. February 16th, baby is oh. the return of picard mm-hmm. season three it's also my wife's birthday so that is going to be a fabulous day okay so man. okay we'll talk off air about how you have to navigate that between your wife's birthday and also picard yeah I, i'll I feel do like it there's no I'll, navigation I'm, there I, okay <laughs> there is but if i play my cards right it, it'll happen cool. but if it doesn't happen it'll happen the following evening <laughs> that's right that's thank saying. you I'm it's willing. Steve. I'm going to do what makes my wife happy on her birthday. We promise no spoilers for you yeah. if you can't see oh, yes. it on opening night. Yes. Okay? yes. Big Don't sci-fi podcast. Nobody get on the our big sci-fi pad, podcast Facebook page and give no. spoilers. We, we, might also, have to make some, we might have to make some uh, announcements that mm-hmm. way. Just yep. Yep. Uh, Steve, any final thoughts from you? No, I'm, you know, like I said, the, uh, when, when I saw the original 1982 Blade Runner, I was blown away by its style and its look and the everything about it was just something special. From using one of my favorite buildings, the Bradbury building, if mm-hmm. you ever come to Los Angeles, it is the most beautiful building that you could ever have a film or a scene in mm-hmm. it. And conversely, also the same thing, that Harrison Ford's apartment was Frank Lloyd Wright's home in the Hollywood Hills beautiful style so i think everything in that film just it oozed with style and you know what that's what makes a good movie is style cool well thank you steve and thank you everybody this has been a very fantastic discussion i think we spent more time talking about 2049 than the original movie but that's okay it's all good i'm sorry Uh no 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 no. it's totally (laughs) totally fine we never know how these things are going to go it's all good so Mm -hmm. to our listeners you know question is you know what do you think and are you a replicant (laughs) so if you want to let us know we'd love to hear your thoughts about this uh, about either of these movies or about anything related to your favorite science fiction and you can join us at the big sci-fi podcast facebook group to share these thoughts and comment on this episode or any others or you can send us an email at the big sci-fi podcast at gmail.com And I would love to thank all of our faithful listeners and members of our Facebook group for being such awesome supporters of the show. You are the reason we keep getting together via Zoom each week to record these episodes. So until next week, stay well, and we look forward to going with you where few podcasters have gone before. 